Hey everybody, welcome back to Rooted. I hope that wherever you are, you're having a wonderful day. If this is, you know, kind of starting off the day for you, this is a great episode (laughs) to start your day off. It's also a really good episode to finish your day with because there's so much information. We dive really deep into a lot of things. My guest today is Victoria Jane. She is a human design expert and coach, and she is honestly amazing. I, last year, had a reading from Victoria and I went into it knowing a little bit about my design and she offered me so much. She expanded my brain. She gave me even more permission to be myself and truly have a deeper understanding of my human design and what it means for me and what it looks like for me. I feel like so much as women and as business owners in the personal development and wellness space, we can easily get lost in what everybody else is doing and how everybody else is working and all of the other people's offers. And it's hard to just get quiet and tune into ourselves. And Victoria really offers the ability to do just that. So in this episode, we dive into kind of the basics of human design, the different types, strategy, authority, and then we get a little deeper. (laughs) So I shared this before. I am a 1-3 emotional projector. And though we don't dive into the numbers, we do dive a little deeper into projectors. So if that is what your design type is, you'll really appreciate this episode. But if you are a generator or a manifesting generator or manifester or reflector, you're still going to learn so much in this podcast episode. We dive into all of the things and leave you just enough to where you're wanting more. So be sure to follow her along on Instagram at victoriajane.hd. That's where you'll be able to find her website, book a session with her, join her HDCC program, all the things. And honestly, even if you're just kind of dipping your toe into all of this, giving her a follow, seeing the information that she shares on her stories and through her posts, it's all really digestible and understandable. And it makes something like human design feel just that much more simple which is kind of crazy to say because it can feel like a lot as we discuss in this episode. So sit back, take it all in. If you're driving, definitely like this is a good one to zone into. Um, And if you are at home sitting, this could be really great to go ahead onto one of the websites that we mentioned and have your chart up while we're talking through this because you're going to learn so much. And I feel like you know, I call it a permission slip pretty often, but you're going to get a permission slip today to live your best and truest life for you because that's what matters. I hope you enjoy this episode. Victoria, I'm so excited that you're here because I am absolutely obsessed with all things human design and figuring out how to like use human design in my business and just in my life in general. And I think this is going to be really valuable for everyone listening. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I love talking to you. I ended up talking about human design. So it's just a great, I'm here to have a great time. I'd love to start with more about you and kind of life before human design and then how human design found you. Yeah. Life before human design, I 
how I don't know how far into my background. Tell me if I'm like going too far off, but like I grew up in a very like achiever, academic oriented household and, you know, did that whole journey. I was interested in sustainable agriculture and then ended up in tech and in business because I was in the Bay Area and I dabbled into all of this stuff in like nonprofit NGO world and then realized the pace was not quite for me. Like it was a little too slow. I felt like I wasn't having the impact that I wanted, which is a classic thing as a 6-2 profile to be like, mm, I need to have more of an impact. And then was in tech and business for a while and was so not living a projector life. And I don't know how, well, we'll get into the details of human oh, yeah. design in a bit. I was living very much like an MG, I'll say. And it wasn't serving me. I got super sick. I was super burnt out. Like I remember at one point, my partner and I had this like international vacation planned and it was supposed to be so much fun. And I was like, we have to cancel it. I am too tired to go on vacation. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty, you know, I was, I had dug myself into a pretty deep hole. And when I discovered human design, I just felt such a relief, both a relief and a like, you know, when someone tells you about like the most wonderful, like when you see someone you really look up to and you're like, oh, like if I could just have their life, it was like that feeling and like, oh my gosh, there's nothing wrong with me. Thank God. Mm. So that of course kicked off me diving deep into the system of human design. And it, I like to say it kind of chose me because I feel like we share what has really transformed and helped us. And that's that's why I do what I do now. How did you hear about it? I found human design through my manifestation practice. I've always been, there's always been a part of me that's very like analytical. And then this other part of me that's like into all of the spiritual woo-woo. And so even when I was in tech and in this very left brain setting, there was a part of me that was like manifestation and all these things. And one of the ways that I had been hearing manifestation talks about was whether you're a specific versus non-specific manifester. And then, of course, that opened the door to every other part of my chart. Wow. And how has your life really changed since the discovery of human design and being able to kind of implement what you're learning? Yeah, I. this is going to sound cliche, but it really feels like my whole life has changed. I mean, not all of it is directly related to human design. I think some of it is just me living in greater alignment with who I truly feel myself to be. But I can't help but look at everything through the lens of human design. And I think major day-to-day -day feelings and experiences of, for example, always feeling tired, always feeling like I was behind, a sort of inner tension, this like low-grade inner tension, like a lot of that has either completely disappeared or or it's just no longer a frequent occurrence and so even and it continues to open up and evolve but even like a couple of weeks ago I remember distinctly having the thought of I feel more me and more true than I ever have before I get that it feels kind of like I love when you said like there's nothing wrong with me oh my gosh there's nothing wrong with me and then also like it's kind of like a permission slip like you knew all of these things but now yeah. someone's validated it in a way and you're like, oh my gosh, like I can, I can feel this way. I can think this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. I, I mean, I think for better, or for worse, we all have some level of what the external world has told us how we're supposed to be. And um, human design for me has really opened up space for that to just, for, for me to like let go of those things. It doesn't have to be true. Do you use human design differently for your life than you do for your business? Or is it kind of just like, now this is your life? Well, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, I'm feeling into that question. There's a part of me that wants to say like, yeah, it's, it's the same approach, it's the same how. But a lot of times people will also like to ask questions like, how do I use human design for my business? And so I think there are ways in which I could answer that are specific to business. Like, you know, for example, like outsourcing might help a projector 
use my time more wisely. And that's not like a topic that I think about when I think about life in general, but the approach of say, wanting to really use my energy and focus where I spend my time in a really discerning way applies everywhere. Mm -hmm. So now we've given a lot of like buzzwords. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So let's give the the listeners an idea, just a generalized like human design. One, what is it? And two, let's break down the different types. Yeah. Okay. So human design is a system that talks about how your energy uniquely works. You can go super detailed into your individual chart, but at the highest level, there are five different types and each type has its own, what's called strategy in human design lingo, which is how you want to navigate through the world. So some people might be best served by really owning whatever impulse they have and just going for it and like starting something new. Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, if you're a projector, like you and I both are, for example, Sam, we actually want to check out like, hey, is there space for me to be received before really sharing something? So this is what I meant earlier by like, there's these different ways of living and the sense of relief of like, oh, I don't have to be pushing in the same way that maybe I've seen a lot of other people show up. So there's strategy. And then there's also another really important pillar is knowing what your authority is, which is the voice of your intuition and how you want to make decisions. And knowing just that piece, a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh my God, I feel so overwhelmed. I like, I just pulled up my chart. I don't know where to start. So I want to say that if there are people that are newer to human design, if you just look at your type strategy and authority, you can naturally live out all of your design that you can get so far with it. Okay. So I'm just going to ask questions that like when I first started diving into human design, I was like, I don't know what this is. How does, mm-hmm. how do I use this? So there's manifesting generator, manifester, generator, reflector, and projector. Mm-hmm. Do they all have the same strategy? No, no. Every type has its own strategy. Okay. So let's use your chart. You know you best. Yeah, sure. So sure. going through your chart, can you explain like what everything is? When somebody, if they're going to go, mm. well, I guess where is the best place for them to? There's so many websites. Yeah. So I like mybodygraph.com and there's a, sometimes people are like, oh, do I have to create a login? No, there's a free version of the chart where you can just enter in your details, but all of them are great. Jovian's great. My human design is great too. And what she'll get is a picture of a human (laughs) with shapes in them. And then there'll be a section where there's words. So you can look at the words and you want to look at what is my type. And that'll tell you how does your energy work and also how is it felt by other people or your aura to use that language. And then you can look at your strategy and... And then I'll also have a words for your your authority as well. So that's where I would start. Profile is also another good thing to look into. But if that even feels like too much, like just strategy and authority, literally, if you just follow those things and experiment, you will naturally live out the rest of your design. Like there's so many people I can think of that are living their design perfectly because we see them and they seem to be really successful or they're having, there's a lot of joy and peace in their life. And they probably don't know what their design is, but that's fine. What's a common misconception about each type? Oh, interesting. Okay. So, you know, no one's ever asked that, but I I love this. Okay. So let's start with manifestors. So depending on where you continue to research human design, there's a lot on Instagram. And if you Google, there's like lots of articles now. The, The human design system is actually not that old. It was channeled in the late 80s. And the original language channeled sometimes is a little 
harsh. Like the system was channeled by a manifester who has a pretty intense, like, like intense energy. So for manifestors, the, one of the traditional words used for their energy is repelling, which sounds really like kind of mean, right? And so I think, I don't know if it's a common misconception, but I think there are a lot of manifestors who feel, or maybe even people who aren't manifestors, who think that manifestors are mean or like intense, like strong in like a pejorative way. And I want to say that some of them, like I love manifestors, like two of my best friends growing up from like first grade and sixth grade are manifestors. And I want to say, and some close friends that I've made more in adulthood, there's some of the like kindest, like type two Enneagram, like care about people types that, that I personally know. So that's my common misconception for manifestors. I don't know if you know any manifestors. I do. I do. And I would say that I can see like just knowing a manifester closely and then seeing how their energy affects other people initially. But then later on, you're very spot on. Yeah, right. And it's not to say like there certainly are manifestors I know that are like your classic kind of like, rah, I show up and like, if you don't get along with me, whatever. Right. And I set that boundary and you're not part of my crew. I don't care. But I just, it's not the case for every manifestor. Mm -hmm. So and I'm so glad you had that, asked that question because I haven't been able to really share that opinion anywhere. For, I think for generators, I think this is more of like a misconception that generators have about themselves, but they often think that they're like selfish for some reason when that's like so not true. And where I see it stemming from is that like there's this natural energy that they have to want to do things that feel good and light them up. That's their contribution to the world. They have this consistent fuel that allows them to be so magnetic and warm and welcoming. And because of just like societal imprinting, let's call it, or maybe things that they've been exposed to and upbringing, there are a lot of generators that feel like they can't like have fun all the time or that if they do something that feels good to them, that it is quote selfish, but it's like a hundred percent not. So that's what I'll go with for the generators. I think from the external people think that both generators and manifesting generators have, let's call it endless energy. And that's also not true, right? It's that they have consistent energy to do what they are excited by, but even so, we all need rest and we all need sleep. So that's kind of like the general one. For MGs, I think another misconception I see, and it can kind of go both ways is, yes, there are a lot of MGs that have many, many interests. They're multi-passionate. That's the word that's thrown around a lot because of the way their energy works where they can get sparked up and like into lots of different things. But you can be multi-passionate and not a manifesting generator. It's a common one. It's like, oh no, I'm multi-passionate. I thought I was going to be a manifesting generator. It's like, no, there's other, that's just an expression of how the manifesting generator energy shows up. And so an MG that's multi-passionate looks really different from say a projector that's multi-passionate. Yeah. I, see I thought that I was like, <laughs> I remember when I first took the test, I was like, no, this is wrong. I have to be a manifesting generator. Yeah. This isn't right. And this comes up, it comes up all the time with human design. And I totally understand why, but there's only so many words in the English language that we can use, but what we're talking about is energy. And so there, sometimes it takes a while for people to actually get and grok like, oh, this is what something means in human design. And so when we say that MGs are multi-passionate, it's because they have steady, consistent access to sacral energy and they have some energy center in their chart connected to their throat. And so what that means in human design is there's this quickness. I think I use the analogy of like, they have both a set of matches and a steady furnace within their design. So they can strike up all these different matches about things and get excited about them and bring their fire to it. But there's also this like, and then my matches burn out and I'm not excited by things 
as much anymore. And that's a different experience than just the general term being multi-passionate. Because guess what? We're all human and complex. I bet we are all multi-passionate to some extent. Very true. Yeah. Okay. Projectors, misconception. This one's hard because I'm a projector and I actually feel like, you know, we can see, projectors can see everything outside of themselves really well, but we have a hard time seeing ourselves. So, I mean, some things that are coming to mind are like the common shadows that projectors get of like, oh, you're so, you're such a know-it-all. You're so arrogant, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Because we're like trying to show up with our solutions to things. And so I guess even as I'm saying, I'm like, maybe that's, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not a misconception, but I mean, do you feel like there's any misconceptions that you've had about being a projector? I get lazy pretty Mm. often. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I, especially when I see projectors in more intimate relationships, or like with family, like parents. And there are people, just people you live with, maybe even it's like a roommate. And energy types, especially sacral generator MGs are like, what are you doing? You're just like sitting there all day. (laughs) And it's like, no, no, I'm really busy recovering or like just replenishing. I'm I'm charging myself. I'm plugged in to, I'm like refilling my battery and I need to be. It's like the size of our energetic reserves and our tank is just different. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that to limit anyone. Like projectors can have so much energy for the things they want to do. It's just, you have to balance it with rest. And maybe just to be super direct since we're on the topic, like projectors aren't lazy, period. (laughs) Yeah. And just to take that, like, I think it's important to really let that sink in for a second, because a lot of us have been told that for a lot of our lives. And the truth is, I mean, let's, sometimes I think it's helpful to have like examples in other categories. Like we're on a farm and you had like a donkey versus, I don't know, like a goat or something. You wouldn't tell the goat, like you're so lazy because you can't pull this tractor or whatever it is, right? And it's like, they're just different. We have different gifts. I hope that analogy doesn't offend anyone. (laughs) Anyway, we have different gifts is really what I'm trying to say. And so let's not use the same metrics to measure ourselves when we're different. Yeah. I thought that was a good analogy. Was was it? Okay. I don't want to offend anyone by calling them a goat. So, (laughs) okay. And then the last type we have is reflectors. I Reflectors are interesting because they're all so different from each other based on who they're around and what their environment is. But I think a common thing that people don't understand is the pace of the reflector is so different. Like imagine if you felt, so the reflector strategy is to wait a whole lunar cycle before making a decision. So imagine, and the reason why that is actually is because what's happening is there's a strong connection that reflectors have with the moon. And as the moon is moving through its cycle, different parts of their chart get activated. So some days they feel like a manifester, some days they feel like a projector, some days they feel Mm. like a generator. And imagine if you were feeling 64 different versions of yourself, like you need to feel into every version before you can make a decision. Decision. And so there's a misconception that reflectors are slow, but it's like, what does that even really mean? And your pace and your timing and being surrendered and patient as a reflector is exactly perfect for you. I can't imagine like having to, I mean, as a projector, it's to wait for the invitation. And I feel like sometimes that takes like a thousand lunar cycles and I'm just like being a reflector. I mean, I always thought that was, it just seemed so cool, like so mysterious and just like very flowy and good. But then when I was reading more on them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine like actually being a reflector. I feel like that would just be a lot to navigate. I think it also speaks to 
this societal bias that we have towards action and doing, mm-hmm. right? Like I've, I've had people in readings say like, oh my gosh, it, it must suck to have so many undefined centers. And I'm like, ooh, ouch, right? Like there's no better or worse. There's no, like every person's design is exactly what you need to achieve everything that your soul has wanted for you, right? But there is this bias that like, oh, it must be better to have a lot of energy and like be shooting all this stuff out when, and we don't really honor the gifts of being open and being wise and taking in and knowing like an empathy and all these things. So I think we're in a point right now where that's shifting for sure. And certainly in circles, like, I don't know, like the things that were into you, Sam, like there is an honoring of that, but not everyone's there yet. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I've always heard that kind of our age group, everyone was really raised to be like a generator. And so there's a Mm -hmm. lot of almost reparenting kind of going on for us because I know for me, it's taken, I'm I'm still working through the fact that I'm like, I just work differently Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Can we talk about non-energy beings? Yeah, and dive into what that actually means and kind of looks like. Totally. So the first three types I mentioned, manifestors, generators, and MGs, they're considered energy beings and projectors and reflectors are considered non-energy types. And what this means is that for projectors and reflectors, even when we're doing our favorite thing in the world, we still need rest. We don't have a consistent source of energy that we can actually act on all the time. So this gets a little more nuanced because there are projectors that have what are called motor centers in their chart. So there's four centers in the chart that create some kind of energy that we can turn into like, and I use this in quotes, like work energy. So there's the sacral, which is the life force energy that all manifesting generators and generators have. But like, for example, you, Sam, you have your emotional center and your ego center, and both of those create energy too. But you don't have a connection to your throat like a manifester does. So it's not like you can take that energy and immediately manifest something into the world. Like you still need to be, in this case, invited, right? And so one thing I want to make clear is even as a non-energy type, you still have energy just like as a human you can do things, but it's about balancing it with rest. The other thing is when I think about, so every type has what's called a signature, this feeling when they're in flow that they most crave. So for projectors, it's success. For reflectors, it's surprise of like, oh my gosh, life is so incredible. And like, I didn't even expect that. For generators and MGs, it's satisfaction of like, ah, I got to like use my sacral energy in a way that feels really good. And then for manifestors, it's peace. There's also something called the not self theme, which comes up when we're out of alignment. And for the energy types, their not self theme is very much related to a backing up of that energy. So for example, the manifester, their not self theme is anger. And think about like, okay, if I'm a manifester and I'm meant to just initiate whatever it is I want to, and then I get stopped or hold myself back, and now I'm pissed about it, Mm -hmm. like that's the anger, right? Uh, And then for generators and MGs, the frustration they feel is often sacral energy not being able to move in the way that it wants to versus like, you know, reflectors and projectors, bitterness um, and disappointment. It's not, it doesn't have that same sort of energetic bite to it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize that manifestors, it was peace. Yeah. Yeah. Because think about when, if you can just do everything you want to do and no one's bothering you and you're just free to, free to, you do you like to the max. Ah, now I can just relax into that, you know? Yeah. That's, and then what did you say? I'm sorry. What did you say reflectors was? It's surprise. Surprise. And I think about it as I, in my head, I always think surprise and delight because it's, it's being delighted by life. 
right? It's like, oh, I can just be open to everything, all the experiences around me. And I can jump into this thing. I can jump into that thing. Oh my gosh, how fun. I kind of felt like that person for a while, but, and it's, life is constantly surprising you. That's when you're really in your reflector purpose of being open to things and and really tasting everything. Wow. Can you imagine if everybody was in their actual self and not in their not self? Mm-hmm. Sounds nice. I want to, I want to live there. I know, right? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And well, that said, like, it's not that we ever get to this point where we're just 100% in our signature. There's obviously ebbs and flows and times when we, we grow and expand and then we kind of plateau and we feel the not self and then we grow and expand more. So I just want to make that clear too, because sometimes we I get some like some really intense like strivers, right? So I, I need that. to live in my design. <laughs> I know, I know. But yes, I totally agree. Like if you're hearing this and there's something in you and your heart that's like, oh, that just sounds so nice. It's like, you can have that. Right. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the beginning of our conversation where like I first learned my design and I was like, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be nice to be a projector that was invited? It is possible. Like the reason why you're yearning for that or longing for that is because there's a part of you that knows that and wants that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we're both projectors. So I feel like I'm going to be a little like more questionable on the projector side. So sorry, everybody, but (laughs) you can definitely book with Victoria and figure out your chart. (laughs) Um, So with projector, I I really, this whole like to be invited thing, I feel like to be honest, I use as an excuse a lot more than normal, but I would love to know, like, what do you mean by to be invited? Yeah. So waiting to be invited as a projector is about feeling an energetic invitation before you share whatever solutions, insights, ideas, opinions, blah, 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 that you want to share with the world. So a lot of times, you know, and it makes sense. You read it and you're like, okay, I, somebody needs to literally invite me. Sometimes, but not always. Someone could actually invite you. But so, for example, if someone's like, Sam, tell me what you think. And you tell them and then they turn around and ignore everything you said. That's also not an invitation because you're going to feel not great about that, right? It's like, I just shared these brilliant ideas with you. So what it's all about is, because this is the strategy for projectors, the waiting waiting for the invitation, this strategy is meant to help you navigate life with more ease. And when, as a projector with your relatively less energy, you're making sure that you are super selective and discerning about who you share things with, you maximize the scenarios and opportunities for you to feel that success because you're only sharing things with people who are really, really want it and are going to act on it. So that's like more what it's about. Yeah. I like that reframe because I think when I first started, I was like, oh my God, I can't share anything with anybody. I have to just sit over here in the corner and wait until someone calls on me, like with my hand raised back in the corner, because that's kind of what it feels like. I'm like, but I know, but I have something to say. I mean, something tactical that I've I've heard other people, like, if you're not sure, because here's the thing, a lot of projectors don't even know what an invitation feels like if Mm -hmm. we've been raised in a way where it's like, just put yourself out there and push or whatever. So it's one, totally fine to experiment with this. If you quote, mess up the invitation, no big deal, right? You just learned a little bit more about what it feels like for you. And something that you can do is, let's say you're with like friends or people you know, and you want to share something, but you're not sure there's an invitation, you can ask like, you know, I have a thought about this whole situation. Like, do you want to hear it? You know? And so there's ways for you to kind of like flirt with an invitation, co-create the invitation. Yeah. I think too, I was talking with one of my friends who's also a projector and she was just saying that let's use um, Instagram as an example. So she runs her business on Instagram and she was 
speaking to me about her strategy when it came to Instagram. And she said, you know, if they follow me, I'm using that as the invitation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Was that me? I don't remember if it was you. It <laughs> I might have said that. Have you said that? I've said that before, but uh, I'm sure other people have said I watch it a lot too. of stories. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But I really like that as a yeah. as kind of a reframe. It's a good way to look at it. Okay. So something else I think that comes up a lot in people who are initially discovering their human design, looking into this, it is overwhelming. The chart is a little wild. And something that I think could be really helpful to people are to understand the arrows in the chart Mm -hmm. and kind of what they are, what they mean and how to use them. Yeah. So I love the arrows. It's funny because traditionally the arrows are considered more advanced too, but in the age of the internet where people can just like Google things, I feel like that model has really been broken. That said, I think it's important Again, just like reiterating strategy and authority are the most important pieces. So if this feels overwhelming, all good. But errors are fun. So there's a lot of information underneath each one. And each one has its own topic area. It starts in the upper left-hand corner. And the first arrow is all about how your physical brain works. And actually, I should say a left-facing arrow. In general, the qualities are more active and more strategic and more focused. So you can think about those qualities. And this doesn't have to do with like the traditional general societal way of using left brain versus right brain. So this doesn't have to do with like analytical versus creativity. It's active strategic focus for the left facing. For the right facing, it's receptive, passive. So like really just like taking things in. So those are the two qualities. Now, those qualities can apply to upper left-hand corner, how your physical brain works. If you're if you're able to take in things in a super focused way versus be open to them, then the bottom, so we're going counterclockwise in the bottom left-hand is all about your environment. Like there's a best place for every person to not necessarily live, but like get doses of how they like to orient themselves in the external. So do you know, do you remember what your environment is? I your am valley. valleys. Your valleys. Yeah, I actually had your chart up. So <laughs> there we go. Uh, and, and I'm a shores person, right? So like there are different and you don't have to actually live in a valley or actually by the beach, but there's different places where our body just feels more comfortable. And then through that, we set ourselves up for our minds to start to see what's right for us to follow our correct path in life. And so then we get into the bottom right-hand corner arrow relates to how our mind relates to the external. So now this is like the metaphorical environment, which is why this arrow relates to manifestation. Cause it's like, Hey, if my mind is going to call things in from around me, do I do it in a specific left facing way? Or do I do it in a more passive receptive right facing way? And we're both non-specific manifestors. So, and then the very last arrow relates to how your mind sees itself essentially and how it's best motivated. So that's the high level. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of practically what's been most useful for many of the people that I work with, if you look at your chart and you see you have a lot of right-facing arrows, it doesn't matter which ones, but just in general, if you've been told you need to have a routine, you need to be super structured, you need to be disciplined and it's never really worked for you, or you've beat yourself up about it a lot and you have a lot of right-facing arrows, this is a place where it's like, the relief of knowing you don't have to show up in the super left focused way. That's like the biggest lever that I've seen for people. And especially if your top two arrows, if they're facing right, or maybe one of them's facing right, and you felt like 
you had trouble in school or it just never really resonated with you to like sit down at a desk and like study for a number of hours. You'd rather be interacting with something at the museum or you'd rather be whatever. This is another place where we're all different. And if you have right facing brain or a right facing brain or mind arrow, you're meant to take in things like all around you. And there's such a gift to that too, but sometimes the traditional school or work environment doesn't allow for that completely. Mm-hmm. It's so funny because I'm so I'm quad right. And <laughs> I've essentially been living as a quad left, but like a closeted quad right who just wanted to be a quad right, but didn't know that you was were okay. To? Yeah, yeah, exactly. My mind is blown. So it's gonna <laughs> there's a lot of pauses happening over here. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder. So it's interesting that you say you feel like you were a closeted quad right, because sometimes I I talk to quad brights. So, you know, your whole way of like relating to the world is going to be much more receptive. They think they're doing great in a more left way. Mm -hmm. Whereas it sounds like in your case, you've kind of always known and you were just looking for somebody to say like, it's, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you made any specific adjustments in like your schedule or your life or your routine that allow for you to be more receptive? Yeah. I mean, I think the first one is shifting how I work. So it's not as structured. There's space throughout the day. And I think too, like I, when I first got into kind of this personal development wellness space, I was very into manifestation, babe, and everything that she had. And I was like, I'm going to be a manifester. And this is who I am now. And I'm going to like write it all down and get really specific and nothing would happen. And I was like, what the hell? (laughs) She's telling me this thing and it's not working. And then I realized I'm nonspecific and it's more based off of feeling. And then also just the feeling kind of as a theme in my chart, it all really does work together. Mm -hmm. Everybody's unique design layers together in this perfect synthesis of you're like, oh, wait, this makes sense. And then you're like, oh, wait, because it's me. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. It, It's honestly the best permission slip. Yeah. It's interesting you say just your whole journey about like going through how to manifest because I find I don't personally know much about manifestation, babe. I haven't followed her, her content, but I spent a lot of time with Uh, to be magnetic and that brand and both. Well, so I don't know what manifestation babe, what her manifestation style is, but it's, uh, I would guess it's, it's specific given the way she teaches. And so is the to be magnetic brands founder. And I wonder like, you know, it doesn't, I don't believe in coincidences. And it's like for these people who have had a lot of success manifesting through action, through doing, which is also part of the left facing characteristic, I'm going to actively do things versus passively receive them. It's a really different paradigm for us non-specifics. And for me, there was a certain amount of like clearing childhood wounds and subconscious beliefs that was helpful. But now I'm in this phase where it's like, so I'm not doing very much to Mm -hmm. manifest. Yeah. I'm the same, honestly. Because before, I mean, I had like structure around it, which also Mm -hmm. wasn't really working for me. So Mm -hmm. yeah. I never actually thought about that. So I'm, I am familiar with the To Be Magnetic brand, but I've never done like any of her courses or any of that kind of offers that she has. But that is an, an interesting point that you bring up. Somebody mm-hmm. needs to like... We need a non-specific yeah. manifestor manifestation brand. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's listening. I don't have enough room yeah. on my plate right now, but... <laughs> yeah, totally. So you kind of brushed a little on environment. And I know this is also 
kind of more in-depth and for someone to really get into what I'm about to ask, highly recommend booking a reading with Victoria for this, but digestion and sense. Mm -hmm. So in my understanding, it's the same thing as environment. It's not like you can only eat this way. You only have this feeling this way type of thing. But well, I guess we'll go into digestion first. Yes, that is correct. So for environment specifically, let's say you're a valleys person, it doesn't mean you have to live in a literal valley, but it's an archetypal structure, right? So a valley is a place where you're down at the bottom, the lowest point. And so valleys people love information and they love sharing information because you're like, you know what, this is where the information starts. And then of course, like as it travels up out of the valley, there's distortion that happens, right? So you want to be, there's some, there's kind of a coziness that, that I feel in the valley where it's like you would, I mean, having a podcast is a great example of a valley, but you're also, your arrow is going to the right as well. So you like to be more passive in your environment. You don't want the spotlight on you necessarily. You kind of want to feel a little distanced and protected. So I know another quad right who is a valley's person. And also think about sound is a big piece of the valley that we're talking about, right? Like sound acoustics and how the information travels. So I know a DJ who is a valley's person, right? And so that's another valley's environment where he's like, hey, I'm on stage and I'm sharing this information out to people. And there's the sound element as well, but I'm kind of cozy and protected and the spotlight isn't on me. This person was a DJ more in the past. So there weren't like celebrity DJs. And then he, he's gone through this transition where he's like, yeah, I don't actually, I got out of the whole DJing thing because they, they wanted me to like show up and like have this brand. And now he's shifted more into like conscious sound healing events. So there is a version of being a Valley's person when you're, where your arrow is going to the left and you're like, yeah, I'm a celebrity DJ. And like, it's, you know, whatever I'm being observed is the traditional word. Mm. Observed is left facing observer where you're watching everything that's going on is more right facing. I'm starting to go off a little bit. Does that, does that answer the question? The examples are really helpful, honestly, because I feel like, you know, when you Google something or you're not having a one-on-one with somebody specifically looking at your own chart, it's really hard to like dissect everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we haven't even like gotten into channels and gates and that alone is to me I was like ah (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't even know I was on like 12 different pages in Google and trying to piecework it together and I was still like I don't actually know what these mean so the examples are really helpful go off track as much as you want to (laughs) okay okay great yeah so so that's the valleys and so you can see how it's archetypal is the point right Mm -hmm. and also the last the other thing is you don't need to be in your environment all the time. It's it's more about getting like, I think of it as like a dose, right? So maybe, and let, let's say you're a valleys person who actually likes valleys or, you know, let's use, we can use myself, like shores person as an example. I am a shores person who actually likes the beach, but I know people who are, let's say they're a mountains person. They're like, I actually hate the mountains. Totally fine. But for a shores person, I could go to the beach and feel great and feel really energized. And then that allows me to maybe get a little clearer so that I have the next intuitive insight about what to do next in my life, right? So it's not that I have to be there all the time, but getting doses of it feels good and helps bring me into alignment event, like really into my purpose is is like why it matters. Mm. But we can find the micro environment in every moment. So as a shores person, like I have my desk set up in a way, in a place that's like not really logical, but it's so that I can see out the window and see the view. And because anywhere else I'm like not as happy. Right. And that's a shore because it's, I'm in one place, but I see out into another place. It's the boundary between one thing and the next. Hmm, That makes sense. Cause I know like 
for me, this might be super simple way to look at it, but my Emma Valley's person and my cozy space is down like where I'm literally, I mean, I feel like I'm in a literal valley in my couch. Like yeah. that's just what it is. Yeah. yeah like right between the cushions. <laughs> yeah, <just> exactly. Like- <laughs> I am. And then there's all the pillows that I keep around me and yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're listening to like a podcast and it's just like rever- reverberating your own little baby valley. Yep. Exactly. I love it. And I bet that's so relaxing for you. It is. And you know, there you are not lazy projector recharging in your little couch valley. And, and then you come out and you're ready to do whatever you're here to do. Exactly. So yeah. what about when it comes to digestion? Yeah. So so now we're going to the first arrow at the upper in the upper left hand corner. And there is a way in which each this isn't this is a different part of your chart. So there's six different digestive types. And then there's either you can be left or right. So there's like 12 variations. And it's how you best take in stuff. So stuff being actual food or information, your environment. And you are a closed taste person. I'm an open taste person. So we're both the second digestive type. And there's, like I said, there's six. So one through three have to do with what you're eating. And then four through six are more about the conditions or the environment in which you eat. So the one is always the oldest. We start there. And the first digestive type is super simple. Like think about people wandering through, I don't know, like, like hunter gatherers. And if you, if the, the tribe shot a buffalo, guess what's on the menu for a week? Buffalo, right? And that's like it. And so that's what the first, whether you're consecutive or alternating appetite, left or right facing, you want to eat one thing at a time. And I know a lot of consecutives have, have a hard time with this because just the way, you know, you go out and buy anything at like any store or restaurant and there's a, there's a lot of ingredients. So especially for consecutive folks, I think it's helpful to think about it in the metaphorical sense where it's like, am I keeping things as simple as possible? And none of this is meant to become dogmatic. It's ultimately for the purpose of how does it feel to you? Because all of human design is checking in with your own authority. Does this feel good? So I know some consecutives that are like, oh, I can totally eat this soup with five things in it if I'm on vacation because I'm relaxed and it feels good. And maybe I have like cozy memories of this this dish that my mom used to make. But if I'm super stressed, I know that I need to eat like just avocado, like an avocado for lunch because that's keeping it more simple. So there's this overall picture of how it comes together. I don't know if we need to go into all the types that we can talk about taste because we're both taste people. And the second type is now getting a little more advanced in terms of evolution. And it's being able to gather lots of different things seasonally. So what tastes good? Like imagine if we were trying to decide if we should eat these berries or those, and if something didn't taste good, it's like, no way, not eating it. And so for our bodies as, as taste people, whatever resonates in your mouth is going to be what's right for your body, which goes against, again, traditional, some traditional food advice, which might be like, get as much variety as possible. Whereas I know for myself, I can eat the same breakfast for, I mean, a lot of times I'll say for a few months, but there have been some periods I've gone through where I eat the same like for years, I just eat the same thing. Like I've been having the same, my same variation on a heavy metal detox smoothie for probably like at least the last year. It's all good. Well, maybe not, maybe like six to nine months, something like that, you know? And I don't know about you, but were you called picky as a kid, Sam? Actually, I wasn't. It developed okay. later in life. Mm. 
as a kid, I think it was because I wanted to please everybody. And so even if maybe I didn't like it, and I don't really remember a lot of my childhood, but if I didn't like it, I would still eat it or be a part of it because it was making somebody else happy. But now I, I definitely understand what you're saying because I could eat an egg sandwich like every single day for the rest of my life and be totally fine. Yeah, totally. It's interesting for you that like the more you, it's like in, for a lot of people in childhood, they they're like, oh, that's how I used to eat. But for you, it's like you were already a people pleaser in childhood and now you're more you. Uh, yeah. But it's all good. We're in the same place, right? So, um, and, and I'll just say like for the conditions, if people are curious, you know, some people are meant to eat in an environment where there's a lot, there's like sound going on and other people are meant to eat somewhere more calm and quiet. Um, some people are meant to eat more during the day versus at night. So truly so specific to your design. Mm-hmm. And then the last one really we'll talk about for all of this before we dive into some solopreneurship stuff, sense. Yeah. So we all have in another word for this, if people that people may have heard, it's called cognition. What is your strongest sense? And it takes some time to kind of see it play out. You're a feeling person. I'm a taste person, which is confusing because the word taste shows up in different places. But I like to think of this is how we orient to the world. So for you, your strongest sense is feeling, you have a defined solar plexus and the different senses are related to certain centers in the chart. So I may be going a little deep, but it feels important to say that. So for you, let's do an example, starting to get abstract. I just posted about this recently. I have been missing my dog, right? And the way that I think about that as a taste person and taste in human design, I have to define a little bit because it sounds weird. It's like, how do you taste your dog? Taste and smell are super related in human design. And they're both part of this, like, what do I sense instinctively? And so it's the oldest, these are the oldest senses, the smell, the taste are the one and the two again. So for me, when I miss him, I'm like, oh, I can literally like smell him in my like brain's sensing capacity like oh i wish i miss how he smells Mm -hmm. but for you as a feeling person you might be like oh my gosh like i'm missing like how i feel when i hug him you know and like that's the that's the key thing so there's just this subtle variation in how in that orientation i also find people tend to use words related to their sense more so i will often use food words like when i was talking about reflectors i think i was like oh they get to like taste different things right Whereas for a feeling person, you might be thinking about like feeling words too. Like how, when I, when I manifest something, how is it going to make me feel? Which Mm -hmm. aligns well to the nonspecific. There are some other senses or cognitions, inner and outer vision. And so these people are thinking about like, they're very visually oriented, right? So for example, some of these people are like, oh my God, it bothers me so much when a website is ugly, or it bothers me so much when something is out of place on my desk because I just, it is offensive, right? And for me, that's like not that big of a deal. So we all have different ways. And for manifesting for these people, they might be visualizing like how it's going to look. So that that's a little bit about that. I feel like you're describing, like I definitely know I'm feeling, but yeah, I also feel like I can... It's not to say that you can't have these other senses, but that there's one that's just a little more hardwired in. Okay. And and I will also say if you're newer to human design and you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know, you strengthen your sense by eating according to your digestive type. So if you're not eating according to your digestive type or you're feeling like you're more, a little more sort of conditioned um, and you're not really totally your authentic self... T- totally fine. Like this is a whole, this is a whole process to live your design and organically you'll notice it 
coming online more as you come into alignment, but it's not something to start with and be like, let me force this and try to feel more, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's what I love the most about this is that it's referred to as the human design experiment Mm -hmm. because that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. I want to know more about you leaving the corporate world and forming a business on human design. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you? I mean, it's still happening, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it's still a journey that is unfolding. I don't think I would have been able to make the jump had I not had the long health journey before, because it's really scary to leave something that is not just like stable and secure, but for me, there's just such a such a large mountain of like role models and information and people I was surrounded by that were showing me like, this is how life is meant to look. And so to kind of go off and create a different kind of reality requires, and again, I'm, this is still very much like an active journey, requires a certain amount of like, well, I just trust myself and I believe that this is going to work out. Right. And so how has it been? I think, you know, in the, in the early, early days, like right when I left, I was still also recovering from like, I was healing my endocrine system and things. So it felt generally pretty good. I was like, great. I'm like resting. I'm like starting this new thing. There of course were moments where I was like, I don't know if this is working, but for the most part, there are a lot of wins to celebrate because it's all new. And I'm kind of fast forwarding to this moment right now. And I think it's just like the pace of things is so accelerated. Everything feels like a new edge all the time. And so how is it feeling now? I think I'm, whenever I have moments of doubt, I actually just come back to my design and I remind myself, like, I'm a projector. I'm here to guide. I am meant to be receiving invitations. And so even if my mind doesn't know exactly how it's all going to play out, especially as a non-specific manifester, to continue to trust and ground into the things that I do know to be true to myself. That's what I come back to. Where did you get your education on? I mean, I know it's continuous, yeah. but to start. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I, as a, so I'm a, there's something called motivation in human design. And I'm the, the type that really wants a lot of information. We're the same motivation type, actually. So it's called fear. I was gonna, wasn't sure if I was going to say that because it sounds people hear there's certain human design words and it's like, that doesn't sound good. But I'm but cracking I like up re- your face. You're like, it's called fear. Um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> the motivation, though, fear motivates us to get information. So I like to think of it as like knowledge motivation is maybe another way to put it. And so as soon as I knew I wanted to learn here, I was like, oh, my God, human design needs to know everything. I bought all the books, read them, took all the courses, got like multiple readings uh, and and in true taste fashion, right? Where I'm like sampling all these different things. I'm the kind of person that goes to the library, gets like 10 books and reads two. But I, I read like five pages of every book just to see if I want it, you know? So Jenna Zoe has been an influence of mine, but I also like to turn to the original raw material as well. And I like to piece it together from all these different things. And then I like to use human design in a, in a coaching context too, because what I found is, you know, you talk to someone about their chart and they're like, great, this is who I have the capacity to be, but I have these limiting beliefs. Um, I have this trauma. I don't, actually believe I can make this change. And so, so much of actually living and practicing and experimenting with your design goes beyond the chart. And that's why I like to have this coaching lens on it, where I draw from outside of human design, like my experiencing managing teams in tech um, and that professional experience, as well as the nervous system and yoga and meditation, which has also been part of my, my journey as well. And now 
to add to the journey, you're also educating others through mm-hmm. HDCC, which I'd love if you would share a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. So the HD coaching certification is a course that I was invited to create by the, the coaches in my life who are like, wait, I want to learn more about human design. You know, it's been so profound for me and I want to be able to use this with my clients, whether that's in, you know, I've had everything from like PTs to acupuncturists to business coaches to energy healers, like anything where you're working with people and you, you start to realize like, oh, maybe what's worked for me doesn't necessarily have to be what's worked for you. And knowing your design is just, or that person's design is such a precise way to support someone because all it comes down to really is how do I support someone to trust themselves, which is strategy and authority, right? So yeah, it's super fun. It's 12 weeks. There's always amazing people that come through and at this point, I've seen these people go out into the world and, you know, do readings, start their practice, incorporate into their existing businesses. And it's just so rewarding because I truly believe in human design. And I also know that there are so many people that can bring it to places that that I can't. So if anyone's listening and you want to you want to go deep, I'm let me know. <laughs> let her know. Honestly, and I think, too, a good thing to note is I know I asked you this question. So if you're not a coach and you're not wanting to learn this really to implement in your business, it's still a great thing to learn just for yourself, one, but then for the relationships that you have in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you for reminding me. Everyone that goes through HDCC comes out and they say, wow, I know my own design so much better. Because it's like one thing to, again, get a reading, which is great and a very important place to start. But to be in a container where you're with other people that can speak the language and you have that opportunity to reflect. Like, I mean, I know there's like many offerings out there, obviously I'm biased, but I think what makes HDCC special is there's this community engagement and integration aspect where you're not just sitting there watching this information and it's like all textbook, but it's like, oh, I'm actually getting assignments to reflect on what is it like for me to live as a blah, 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 right? Where I'm observing my partner or my child or whatever. And there are so many people who came in not even realizing that it would transform their relationships with people too. So yeah. A really important tool, honestly, as we step into this new world, I think mm. this certification just the content that you produce in general. It's going to be really helpful for people as we walk into all of this. So I'm glad that you were invited to create it and that you actually did it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. I would love to know what is something in your own human design that you have had to work through or overcome or kind of reframe? Mm. It's always changing from moment to moment. I spent a lot of time I've spent a lot of time thinking about the sixth line in my profile because the sixth line is uniquely has these three life stages where the first part of your life, you're trial and erroring, you're trying everything out that you actually don't want to do to realize what you do want to do. And there's been a lot of transition that's come with that. Like I don't live in the same place that I used to. I don't have the same partner that I used to. I don't have the same job that I used to. So many things, right? And There is a period when I was in it that it felt like just such a storm and having information about, oh, this is, this is where it's all leading and having the knowledge of the next part of your life. Here's, here's what it's all building towards. And honestly, it's like always better. That was just like a relief to know. Mm -hmm. And so it's not so much that I, well, I do think what, what really I worked through within that was embracing and cherishing every 
every experience that I had had. And I'm sure you can relate as a as a third line too. I honestly was surprised I was I didn't have a six because I was like, I mean, if you look at the first, I guess, quarter of my life, it's been a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, how am I not, how do I not have a six anywhere here? Yeah, yeah. Well, you just get to do this your whole life. Is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> yeah. But but the thing is, is a third line, and I guess there's no way to really compare this, but the third line is naturally resilient in a way. Like you don't quite get like, it doesn't hit you quite as hard when you're going through all these things. Whereas I find for the sixth line, or at least this has been my experience, because we're not naturally resilient in the same way, the sixth line often feels like the first part of our lives is quite traumatic. And Everybody has trauma, but there's something unique to the six line experience that plays into all of that mm-hmm. too. My mom has a six line, and so I definitely see mm. the the differences between us in the resiliency kind of factor. Do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now that I know a little bit more about human design and using it in a way to understand my family, that mm. has been because my mom's a generator, my sister is a manifesting generator, and just knowing that now, I wish I knew that in high school. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. When also you're like going through just like growing into being an adult and I'm imagining like, you're just like exhausting in and of itself. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh yeah. And then, you know, you kind of look into all of the, you know, your astrology and Enneagram and kind of all of these different personality types and all of that stuff. And you're just like, wow, it's a lot, but it's so helpful. Mm -hmm. just to kind of piece everything together. So I'm really happy that you came on today. And I'd love it if um, you could tell people where to find you and kind of how to work with you. And then if there's anything on your heart that you feel like you'd like to share with everyone, last few words. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at victoriajane.hd. And my website is victoriajane.co. I have a free guide on how to best work with your design to find flow in your work. So definitely encourage you to check that out if you want to just learn a little bit more. And you can also find how to do a reading with me or sign up for HDCC. So those are all there in both those places. And I would love to connect with you. And anything on my heart that I want to share. I'm just so grateful to be able to share human design in this space. And I'm hoping that everybody who's listening, you know, whether or not, because not human design doesn't have to resonate with everyone, but regardless that you feel the freedom to live your truth. It doesn't have to happen overnight, but that's what I that's what I wish for everyone. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for this. Honestly, it was a wonderful conversation. I've learned so much and I feel like you'll probably have to come back on because we didn't dive into half of <laughs> the stuff. But before then, everyone needs to go do their chart, get a reading, and then we'll come back together and meet up. <laughs> Perfect. And you can let us know if you have questions too. <laughs> exactly. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Sam. <laughs>